0: Chapter six of Adeline Mowbray by Amelia Alderson Obey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pam Moscato. Chapter six Sir Patrick had reached Mrs Mowbray some time before him, and had, to his great satisfaction, found Adeline alone. Nor did it escape his penetration that her cheeks glowed, and her eyes sparkled with pleasure at his approach but he would not have rejoiced in this circumstance had he known that adeline was pleased to see him merely because she considered his appearance as a proof of glenmurray's safety for in spite of his having written against dueling and of her confidence in his firmness and consistency she was not quite convinced that the reasoning philosopher would triumph over the feeling man you are welcome sir patrick cried adeline as he entered with a most winning smile i am very glad to see you pray sit down the baronet who audacious as his hopes and intentions were had not expected so kind a reception was quite thrown off his guard by it and catching her suddenly in his arms endeavoured to obtain a still kinder welcome adeline as suddenly disengaged herself from him and with the dignity of offended modesty desired him to quit the room after such an insolent attempt she could not think herself justified in suffering him to remain with her. But her anger was soon exchanged into pity when she saw Sir Patrick lay down his hat, seat himself, and burst into a long deliberate laugh. He is certainly mad! she exclaimed, and leaning against the chimney-piece, she began to contemplate him with a degree of fearful interest. Upon my soul now! cried the baronet, when his laugh was over. You do not suppose, my dear creature, that you and i do not understand one another telling a young fellow to leave the house on such occasions means in the pretty no meaning of your sex stay and offend again to be sure he is certainly mad said adeline more confirmed than before in her idea of his insanity and immediately endeavoured to reach the door but in so doing she approached sir patrick who rather roughly seized her trembling hand desired her to sit down and hear what he had to say to her. Adeline, thinking it was not right to irritate him, instantly obeyed. "'Now then, to open my mind to you,' said the baronet, drawing his chair close to hers, "'from the very first moment I saw you I felt that we were made for one another. Though, being bothered by my debts, I made up to the old duchess, and she nibbled the bait directly, deeming my clean inches, six feet one without shoes, well worth her dirty acres.' How dreadfully incoherent he is! thought Adeline, not suspecting for a moment that by the old duchess he meant her still blooming mother. But, my lovely love, continued Sir Patrick, most ardently pressing her hand, so much have your sweet person and your frank and liberal way of thinking charmed me that I here freely offer myself to you, and we will begin the life of honor together as soon as you please. Still, Adeline. Who was unconscious how much her avowed opinions had exposed her to insult, continued to believe Sir Patrick insane, a belief which the wildness of his eyes confirmed. I really know not. You surprise me, Sir Patrick. I surprise you, my dear soul? How could you expect anything else from a man of my spirit after your honest declaration last night? All I feared was that Glenmurray should get the start of me. Adeline, though alarmed, bewildered, and confounded, had still recollection enough to know that, whether sane or insane, the words and looks of Sir Patrick were full of increasing insult. "'I believe, and I think, I had better retire,' faltered out Adeline. "'Retire! I, by all means!' exclaimed the baronet, rudely seizing her. This outrage restored Adeline to her usual spirit and self-possession and bestowing on him the epithet of mean-souled ruffian, she had almost freed herself from his grasp, when a quick step was heard on the stairs, and the door was thrown open by Glenmurray. In a moment Adeline, bursting into tears, threw herself into his arms, as if in search of protection. Glenmurray required no explanation of the scene before him. The appearance of the actors in it was explanation sufficient while with one arm he fondly held adeline to his bosom he raised the other in a threatening attitude against sir patrick exclaiming as he did it base unmanly villain villain echoed sir patrick but it is very well very well for the present good morning to you sir so saying he hastily withdrew as soon as he was gone glenmurray for the first time declared to adeline the ardent passion for which she had inspired him And she with equal frankness confessed that her heart was irrevocably his from this interesting tete-a-tete adeline was summoned to attend a person on business to her mother and during her absence glenmurray received a challenge from the angry baronet appointing him to meet him that afternoon at five o'clock about two miles from bath to this note for fear of alarming the suspicions of adeline glenmurray returned only a verbal message saying he would answer it in two hours but as soon as she returned he pleaded indispensable business and before she could mention any fears respecting the consequences of what had passed between him and sir patrick he had left the room having to prevent any alarm requested leave to wait on her early the next day as soon as glenmurray reached his lodgings he again revolved in his mind the propriety of accepting the challenge how can I expect to influence others by my theories to act right, if my practice sets them a bad example? But then again he exclaimed, how can I expect to have anything I say attended to, when, by refusing to fight, I put it in the power of my enemies to assert I am a paltroon, and worthy only of neglect and contempt? No, no, I must fight. Even Adeline herself, especially, as it is on her account, will despise me if I do not and then without giving himself any more time to deliberate he sent an answer to sir patrick promising to meet him at the time appointed but after he had sent it he found himself a prey to so much self-reproach and after he had forfeited his claims to consistency of conduct he felt himself so strongly aware of the value of it that had not the time of the meeting been near at hand he would certainly have deliberated upon some means of retracting his consent to it being resolved to do as little mischief as he could he determined on having no second in the business and accordingly repaired to the field accompanied only by a trusty servant who had orders to wait his master's pleasure at a distance contrary to Glenmurray's expectations sir patrick also came unattended by a second while his servant who was with him was like the other desired to remain in the background I wish mr glenmurray to do everything honorable said the baronet after they had exchanged salutations therefore sir as i concluded you would find it difficult to get a second i am come without one and i conclude that i concluded right i men of your principles can have but few friends and men of your practice ought to have none sir patrick retorted glenmurray but as I don't think it worth while to explain to you my reasons for not having a second, as I fear that you are incapable of understanding them, I must desire you to take your ground. With all my heart, replied his antagonist, and then taking aim, they agreed to fire at the same moment. They did so, and the servants, hearing the report of the pistols, ran to the scene of action, and saw Sir Patrick bleeding at his sword-arm, and glenmurray also wounded leaning against a tree this is cursed unlucky said sir patrick coolly as you have disabled my right arm i can't go on with the business at present but when i am well again command me your wound i believe is as slight as mine but as i can walk and you cannot and as i have a chaise and you not you shall use it to convey you and your servant home and i and mine will go on foot To this obliging offer Glenmurray was incapable of giving a denial, for he became insensible from the loss of blood, and with the assistance of his antagonist was carried to the chaise, and supported by his terrified servant, conveyed back to Bath. It is not to be supposed that an event of this nature should be long unknown. It was soon told all over the city that Sir Patrick O'Carroll and Mr. Glenmurray had fought a duel, and that the latter was dangerously wounded the quarrel having originated in Mr. Glenmurray's scoffing at religion, king, and constitution, before the pious and loyal baronet. This story soon reached the ears of Mrs. Mowbray, who, in an agony of tender sorrow, and in defiance of all decorum, went in person to call on her admired Sir Patrick, and Adeline, who heard of the affair soon after, as regardless of appearance as her mother, and more alarmed, went in person to inquire, concerning her wounded Glenmurray. By the time that she had arrived at his lodgings, not only his own surgeon, but Sir Patrick's had seen him, as his antagonist thought it necessary to ascertain the true state of his wound, that he might know whether he ought to stay or fly his country. The account of both the surgeons was, however, so favorable, and Glenmurray in all respects so well, that Sir Patrick's alarms were soon quite at an end the wounded man was lying on a sofa, lost in no very pleasant reflections, when Adeline knocked at his door. Glenmurray, at that very moment, was saying to himself, Well, so much for principle and consistency. Now my next step must be to marry, and then I shall have made myself a complete fool, and the worst of all fools, a man presuming to instruct others by his precepts, when he finds them incapable even of influencing His own actions. At this moment, his servant came up with Mrs. Mowbray's compliments, and if he was well enough to see her, she would come up and speak to him. In an instant, all his self reproaches were forgotten, and when Adeline hung weeping and silent on his shoulder, he could not but rejoice in an affair which had procured him a moment of such heartfelt delight. At first, Adeline expressed nothing but terror at the consequences of his wound and pity for his sufferings. But when she found that he was in no danger, and in very little pain, the tender mistress yielded to the severe monitress, and she began to upbraid Glenmurray for having acted not only in defiance of her wishes and principles, but of his own, of principles laid down by him, to the world in the strongest point of view, and in manner convincing to every mind. "'Dearest Adeline, consider the provocation,' cried Glenmurray, a gross insult offered to the woman i love but whoever fought a duel without provocation glenmurray if provocation be a justification your book was unnecessary and did you not offer an insult to the understanding of the woman you love in supposing that she could be obliged to you for playing the fool on her account but i should have been called a coward had i declined the challenge and though i can bear the world's hatred i could not its contempt i could not endure the loss of what the world calls honor is it possible rejoined adeline that i hear the philosophical glenmurray talking thus in the silly jargon of a man of the world alas i am a man not a philosopher adeline at least be a sensible one consistent i dare not now call you but have you forgotten the distinction which in your volume on the subject of duels you so strongly lay down between real and apparent honor in which of the two classes do you put the honour of which in this instance you were so tenacious what is there in common between the glory of risking the life of a fellow-creature and the testimony of an approved conscience an excellent observation that of yours indeed my sweet monitress said glenmurray an observation of mine it is your own replied adeline but see i have the book in my muff and i will punish you for the badness of your practice by giving you a dose of your theory. Cruel girl, cried Glenmurray, I am not ordered a sleeping draught. Adeline was, however, resolved, and, opening the book, she read argument after argument, with unyielding perseverance, till Glenmurray, who, like the eagle in the song, saw on the dart that wounded him his own feathers, cried, quarter. But tell me, dear Adeline, said Glenmurray, a little piqued at her too just reproofs you who are so severe on my want of consistency, are you yourself capable of acting up in every respect to your precepts? After your weakness, replied Adeline, smiling, it becomes me to doubt my own strength, but I assure you that I make it a scruple of conscience, to show by my conduct my confidence in the truth of my opinions. Then in defiance of the world's opinion, that opinion which I, you see, Had not resolution to brave, you will be mine, not according to the ties of marriage, but with no other ties or sanctions than those of love and reason? I will, said Adeline. And may that God whom I worship, raising her fine eyes and white arms to heaven, desert me when I desert you. Who that had seen her countenance and gesture at that moment could have imagined she was calling on heaven to witness an engagement, to lead a life of infamy? Rather would they have thought her a sublime enthusiast breathing forth the worship of a grateful soul. It may be supposed that Glenmurray's heart beat with exultation at this confession from Adeline, and that he forgot in the promised indulgence of his passion to confine himself within those bonds which strict decorum required. But Glenmurray did her justice. He beheld her as she was, all purity of feeling and all delicacy and if possible the slight favors by which true passion is long contented to be fed though granted by adeline with more conscious emotion were received by him with more devoted respect besides he again felt that mixture of pain with pleasure on this assurance of her love which he had experienced before for he knew though adeline did not the extent of the degradation into which the step which her conscience approved would necessarily precipitate her And experience alone could convince him that her sensibility to shame, when she was for the first time exposed to it, would not overcome her supposed fortitude, and boasted contempt of the world's opinion, and change all the roses of love into the thorns of regret and remorse. And could he who doted on her, he too, who admired her as much for her consummate purity as for any other of her qualities, could he bear to behold this fair creature? whose open eye beamed with the consciousness of virtue casting her timid glances to the earth and shrinking with horror from the conviction of having in the world's eye forfeited all pretensions to that virtue which alone was the end of her actions would the approbation of her own mind be sufficient to support her under such a trial though she had with such sweet earnestness talked to him of its efficacy these reflections had for some time past been continually occurring to him and now they came across his mind blighting the triumphs of successful passion nay but for the dread of incurring yet more ridicule on account of the opposition of his practice to his theory and perhaps the indignant contempt of adeline he could have thrown himself at her feet conjuring her to submit to the degradation of being a wife but unknown to glenmurray perhaps another reason prompted him to desire this concession from Adeline. We are never more likely to be in reality the slaves of selfishness than when we fancy ourselves acting with most heroic disinterestedness. Egotism loves a becoming dress, and is always on the watch to hide her ugliness by the robe of benevolence. Glenmurray thought that he was willing to marry Adeline merely for her sake, but I suspect it was chiefly for his. The true and delicate lover is always a monopolizer always desirous of calling the woman of his affections his own it is not only because he considers marriage as a holy institution that the lover leads his mistress to the altar but because it gives him the right to appropriate the fair treasure to himself because it sanctions and perpetuates the dearest of all monopolies and erects a sacred barrier to guard his rights around which All that is respectable in society all that is most powerful and effectual in its organization is proud and eager to rally but while glenmurray in spite of his happiness was sensible to an alloy of it and adeline was tenderly imputing to the pain of his wound the occasional mournful expression of his countenance adeline took occasion to declare that she would live with glenmurray only on condition that such a step met with her mother's approbation then are my hopes for ever at an end said glenmurray or or in spite of himself his eyes sparkled as he spoke or we must submit to the absurd ceremony of marriage marriage replied the astonished adeline can you think so meanly of my mother as to suppose her practice so totally opposite to her principles that she would require her daughter to submit to a ceremony which she herself regards with contempt impossible i am sure when i solicit her consent to my being yours she will be pleased to find that her sentiments and observations have not been thrown away on me glenmurray thought otherwise however he bowed and was silent and adeline declared that to put an end to all doubt on the subject she would instantly go in search of mrs mowbray and propose the questions to her and glenmurray feeling himself more weak and indisposed than he chose To own to her, allowed her, though reluctantly, to depart. End of chapter six. Recording by Pam Muscato.